Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Going to have a quick one here for you today. We are preparing to go to the Combine next week. We'll actually have a really long pod coming on Monday, so uh, stay tuned for that. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do questions since we get to talk to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski next week, and I guess we actually get to ask them questions. Uh, we're going to kind of throw out some questions that we have for those guys, um, whether we'll actually get a chance to ask them all, whether we'll get answers to them. I don't know. Uh, but let's start with Kevin Stefanski. Mary Kay, what is kind of the pressing question for Kevin Stefanski in your mind? Well, you know, one of the questions that I will want to ask him or want to know about is, you know, when we talked to Deshaun Watson at the end of the season, he talked about how different the offense would be in 2023. I would like to explore that notion a little bit with Kevin Stefanski and just talk about what are the plans for the offense in 2023? Uh, does he envision it being drastically different than 2022? If so, how? I mean, he's usually not very forthcoming on these kinds of things, obviously. Uh, as you mentioned, Dan, we might not get a great answer. Uh, but I think it begs the question, what are you going to do differently uh, with Deshaun in the offense in 2023? And what is Kevin doing in the offseason to prepare for those changes? Yeah, I like that question. And like, like you said, that that feels like one where Kevin would not give us a very good answer. But I think it's it's interesting because for all the upheaval kind of on this coaching staff, you still pretty much have the same offensive staff minus your quarterbacks coach. And you had mentioned on yesterday's pod, Mary Kay, that there's a chance there might not be a quarterbacks coach this year. They might go back to when Alex Van Pelt was kind of wearing two hats and, you know, Chad O'Shea is still your receivers coach, passing game coordinator. There's still some things that, that have to be worked out on that staff, but Ashley, the offensive staff is pretty much the same. It's not like they're bringing in, you know, a bunch of new minds or, or new, new ways to look at things and think about things. Right. I think there, there is some consistency, but like Mary Kay saying, I think where the changes are going to come from is even if the staff is basically the same, um, it's how this offense is going to look with a full year with Deshaun Watson now. And I think like when we went into those last six games with him, I think at that point, like it was kind of the writing was on the wall in terms of they're probably not going to make it to the postseason, even if there was mathematically a path forward still in early December. So for me, it's almost like, 
those last six games were a version of a, an extended preseason where you can kind of see what pieces work with Deshaun, what's not working with Deshaun. And then, of course, you know, once the season ended and we talked to Deshaun for the last time before we left, um, it sounded like in his mind there was really an emphasis on sitting down and talking with Kevin Stefanski and, and figuring some of this out. And like Mary Kay said, you know, we might not get a direct answer on something like this, but it's definitely questions worth asking. You know, Mary Kay, I've, I've been thinking about this because one of the one of the things that, you know, you sit we've we've all said this, I think, about Deshaun Watson and going into year two um, and having a full offseason and. On the one hand, that is true because obviously Deshaun Watson this time a year ago is not a Cleveland Brown. But he did get, I mean, he was here in April and he was here during the whole offseason program. He was there for most of training camp getting first team reps. How much different, though, is this offseason for Deshaun than, than last offseason? How much do you think kind of that suspension looming everything affected how the Browns approached the offseason? I think it, it, uh, impacted it a lot because they really did have to try to tailor an offense to Jacoby Brissett. They had to get him ready to play. They had to get players and the receivers ready to play with uh, Jacoby. So they really weren't able to implement the full Deshaun Watson program. Uh, And then once it became 11 games, you know, that, you know, that was even worse Then it was like, you know, they gave him plenty of reps, But as far as installation and all the different things that they were going to do, uh, they really had to focus more on Jacoby and his skill set. So I think it was huge and it didn't really give them the opportunity to, you know, to really work enough in practice on, you know, the scramble drills and all the things that the receivers were going to have to do to be able to adjust to a Deshaun Watson style of play. It didn't give the offensive line an opportunity to try to figure out how to kind of block for that, which some of that is hard to simulate in, um, you know, in practice, but you can do it to a degree. And um, so I think it had a tremendous impact. And I think now it's going to be all guns blazing on how do we maximize the skill set and the talents and the abilities of Deshaun Watson? How do we get these guys, uh, you know, to know to stay in his line of sight when, when he's out of the pocket, how do we, you know, make sure that, um, you know, when guys are, you know, pulling or, or moving on the offensive line or how they're going to shift, you know, and uh, slide protections and all those kinds of things. I mean, it takes time to figure all of that out. So now they know exactly what the deal is going to be from day one. And I think it changes everything. Okay, Ashley, what question do you have for Kevin? Yeah, I'm going to go over to the other side of the ball, actually. And I think, like, in in general, the big question, I think, for me, is just what's it been like working with Jim Schwartz so far? And obviously, I think what are some of the big overall, like, changes that we can expect to see with him? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, You know, I would love to know. I, I guess, Mary Kay, I'd love to know how involved was Kevin in the defense last year and how involved will he be this year? Will he take a, will it be a step back for him? Will it be the same involvement? I, I'd be curious to know his role in all of that. Yeah, it's definitely something to explore uh, because this year he doesn't have to be very involved at all. Uh, he knows that he can just turn that side of the ball over to 
uh, a person who has been a defensive coordinator for 14 seasons, who's been a head coach. Not only does he have someone that he can just leave alone on that side of the ball, he has a resource in terms of a former head coach, somebody that he can ask for uh, you know, guidance on in certain situations. And I think that's going to be invaluable. Uh, Jim Schwartz has seen it all. He's worked under some of the best coaches in the NFL. He learned from Nick Saban. He learned from Bill Belichick. He's got uh, uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge about how to do things, how to run things. He spent a lot of time in Philadelphia, uh, which is such a great organization, you know, getting to know Howie Roseman and how they do things over there in Philadelphia. They want a Super Bowl. I mean, you don't want a Super Bowl generally unless you're a really solid, solid organization. So I think he's going to be such a tremendous help to Kevin Stefanski, but I think that's something to explore. How much does he need to be involved in the defense this year or can he kind of let it go, turn it over to Jim, and really focus on his number one priority, which is getting the best and the most out of Deshaun in this offense? Ashley, when, when I think about Jim Schwartz, I think, oh, like football, you know, he's been in the game forever. He's into this old school football guy. But then I remember listening to him talk at his, his introductory presser. Mary Kay mentioned it. He, uh, you know, spent time in Philadelphia with Howie Roseman. Uh, Doug Peterson was the head coach there kind of running the offense and you know he's as analytically driven as anybody Uh, it feels like Jim and Kevin kind of speak the same football language in some ways or or at least could it seems like that's a marriage that can work I can see how it works yeah I think Jim Schwartz has I think the perception of him coming in for some fans may have been like, oh, this is an older school guy who maybe we'll get away with from that. But my impression of Jim Schwartz has been he was always like one of the first guys to kind of embrace this more analytical way of thinking. So I definitely think they seem to be on the same page there. And it was interesting kind of to hear him talk about that during his press conference and essentially say like information is good, but you don't want paralysis by analysis was the phrase he used. And I think there are questions sometimes about if that was happening to the Browns or if sometimes they're making decision based too much on data and not enough on the eye test, things like that. So I think that perspective like might mesh with Kevin Stefanski, but it also is slightly different that I think might help them with some of their areas they've struggled with. All right. I guess this is, this is sort of a hybrid Kevin Andrew question, but, um, and Mary Kay, this one might be right in your wheelhouse too. Mm-hmm. I, this goes back to the offensive side of the ball. And I would just like to know, like, what type of receiver are you missing right now, Kevin? Because, okay, so we know Amari Cooper, we know DPJ, uh, we know there was going to be a role for Jakeem Grant on this offense. I mean, there was a role for JoJo Natson on this offense when, when before he tore his ACL when, when he was here in 2020. What kind of receiver are you missing here? Like, like, what does this team need to kind of help take your offense to the next level? Is it that smaller, shiftier slot guy, or is it like a big, more traditional number two receiver? Well, it's a great question. And I think it's a question that is on the minds of a lot of people. And you're right. It's a question that, um, you know, that we can pose to both Kevin and Andrew, um, you know, I think we know the answer uh, because, you know, you've got Amari and he's a certain body type. You've got Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's also a certain uh, body type with a certain skill set. And what they're missing is that is that smaller, shiftier receiver, the, uh, the Tyreek Hill kind of guy. Uh, I think they thought they had something along those lines, at least from a speed standpoint, in Anthony Schwartz. 
We don't know if Anthony Schwartz is even going to make the regular roster this year. He's got a long way to go. He could possibly end up on the practice squad. So, you know, they do need that guy. I think they need a couple of those guys. I would, you know, borrow a page from the Kansas City Chiefs way of doing things and more is better for them, right? I mean, go out and find a couple of fast guys. That way, if your fast guy pulls a hamstring, you've got another fast guy, you know? I mean, so I really think that's uh, that's what they need to focus on. Uh, you know, they need that guy. You know what you have in Amari Cooper. He brings so much to the table, uh, but he needs to be complemented with someone with a completely, completely different style. Now, will they admit that? I don't know. I mean, as we have mentioned before, uh, you know, these guys don't necessarily give away the keys to the castle in these uh, in these press conferences. But, um, you know, I think we can all agree that that's what's missing on this offense. Yeah, I'm sitting here, Ashley, and I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way I'd ever get an answer to that question. But <laughs> I'd still be curious what the answer was. Yeah, I think so. And last year, you know, I was going back and trying to find it because it was interesting how when we talked about receiver last year, of course, they still had that first round pick last year when we were at the combine. And we were kind of getting at him like these receivers, these top receivers in the draft last year were all kind of good at different things, right? Like Garrett Wilson was very different than Traylon Burks at the time. Um, And when we asked Andrew about that last year, you know, he kind of said that it's, there's a number of different specialties. It was a one, It's not a one-size-fits-all thing, but of course, didn't really give an answer. But I think this year, looking at where that receiver room is after they've acquired Amari Cooper, like Mary Kay said, it's really obvious, I think, where the deficiency is um, and what kind of talent they're missing. So I do think, I always like the phrase that you used, Dan, that the receiver room should maybe look like a basketball team. Um, and I think it was interesting to kind of hear him acknowledge that last year, but We'll be interested to see if he says anything slightly different this year. Yeah, Kevin's a basketball guy. Maybe we can get him going yeah. on that. Get, make him think he's talking basketball, but he's really talking about his receiver room. Okay, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll shift gears and we'll get into questions for the GM, Andrew Barry. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, Andrew Barry will speak as well at the Combine Mary Kay. What do you have for Andrew Barry? You know, instead of asking, you know, some broader macro type questions, I'm interested in the, you know, sort of the details of the offseason roster business and the decisions that he's going to have to make over the next few weeks. And one of the things that happens at the Combine is that general managers meet with the agents for a lot of players. They figure a lot of things out there. In fact, I remember being there last year and uh, and that's when they met with the agent uh, for Baker Mayfield. And, you know, that they kind of laid out what was supposed to happen. And the signals got crossed a little bit. If, obviously, if you guys uh, remember, I think that Baker's camp interpreted uh, what was said to them as, you know, we're not going to be they're not going to be able to land a Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, Baker, you're going to be back. Well, at that point, the Browns didn't even think they were going to be able to land a Deshaun Watson. I mean, who would think that he was going to want to come up north, you know, play outside, play in this weather and all those kinds of things? Lo and behold, um, everything changed soon after that. But um, but I have, you know, sort of the some, you know, micro type specific questions for Andrew Barry. And two of those questions, again, which he probably really will not answer, involve um, players with significant 
uh, cap hits for 2023. Amari Cooper, and I've been writing about this, has an almost $24 million cap hit for 2023. That's a sizable cap hit when your quarterback has a almost $55 million cap hit and your defensive end has something like a, whatever, $25 million cap hit. So I think, you know, more so than any, anything, I would like to know about guys like Amari and um, and John Johnson III, who has a 13.5. And of course, we're going to have to ask, you know, do you have to try to do something with Deshaun's big cap number, which is that 50, almost 55 million. So my questions, you know, would center around those things. How are you going to clear this cap space, get the uh, the salary cap to where you need it to be so that you can then go out and try to see if you can trade for a player that you really want or sign a Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle from the Eagles or someone like that? I, th- I think that's kind of the thing that's hanging over everything right now before we actually get, before anything happens, before we get to free agency, before they've made any of these contract moves, you know, I'm going through every team and trying to pick one free agent. And some of these guys are really intriguing. Like Jesse Bates is headed for free agency, right? And how great would that be if the Browns could land Jesse Bates, steal him from Cincinnati. It kind of solves their deep safety issue. He's still really young. He's like 26, but he might get, 12 13 15 million a year and right now the browns can't really swim in that end of the pool ashley so i think it's one of those things like they're gonna we know they're gonna have to figure out how to free up money it's just kind of how are they gonna do it yeah and especially because like this is the stuff that andrew barry is really good at you know i think everyone might remember the picture his wife tweeted out last year before the draft of his like notebooks from fifth grade where he's playing with imaginary caps and salaries and and figuring all that out so it is i think there are multiple ways to do it that barry k kind of laid out and multiple options they would have but i think an option doesn't feel like it's just standing pat and paying all these guys all this money that they're owed because it's not going to give them that flexibility that I think they need to plug some of these other holes on both sides of the ball. All right, Ashley, what do you have? Yeah, I have defense on my mind today, I guess. <laughs> I, was, I was going back and looking at what Andrew and Kevin said, you know, at their postseason joint press conference together. And of course, a hot topic of discussion was defensive tackle and the lack of production there. And at the time, Andrew said, we want to, you know, any defensive tackles that we bring into the equation with a new defensive coordinator, that they would want them to match schematically with what that coordinator was trying to do. Well, this was pre, you know, us knowing that Jim Schwartz was the guy. So I'm really curious to see what kind of qualities they might be looking for then. And I think the other question that gets asked a lot is, analytically, they haven't, you know, put a huge premium on that position for various reasons. So has that thinking changed given the typical schematics of Jim Schwartz defenses? That's one that I had on my list, Mary Kay, was a defensive tackle question. And like, just asking like, hey, are you really going to just start paying defensive tackles now? Like, are you are you really going to go out and sign Javon Hargrave for whatever it might cost 15 million a year or something. I guess I have 15 million a year in my head. Um, But you know, are you really going to pay that much now for a defensive tackle? Are you going to pivot that dramatically? I think that's also a very interesting storyline this off season. Will the Browns, how will they address defensive tackle? Will it be by spending big 
or will they kind of stick to what they've done, but maybe go just a little bit higher than normal or make it a little bit more of a priority in the draft? Yeah, it's a great question. It really is. And um, actually, Hargrave, who I got a chance to talk to during Super Bowl week, really cool guy. If he ends up here, you guys will really like him. Um, But he actually has a market value closer to $20 million a year. And you know how those prices skyrocket uh, when these guys actually do hit the market. Of course, there's probably a pretty good chance that uh, that the Eagles will try to lock him down before he actually does hit the market. Um, but I did ask him, would you like to be reunited with Jim Schwartz again? Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he, he really couldn't answer that at that time. But... Um, but it is a great question. I think they recognize now that they do need to do more to address the defensive tackle position and not just follow their, you know, sort of their old adages about how to, you know, how much money they want to spend on that position. I think they need to spend. Uh, I think that, you know, Jim Schwartz, you know, he brings a whole new defensive line centric philosophy to the table. He's going to need, he's used to having guys like that, right? I mean, he's he's had and Damakung Sue. He's had Hargrave. He's he's had these really good defensive tackles, and is going to want another one uh, to help power his defensive line this year. So I do think there is a paradigm shift coming, and um, and I think that Andrew will probably be very vague about it when we ask him. Okay, so my question, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. This is a question that I'm sure Kevin will get, some variation of this, a question that Andrew will get as well. Are we sure Greg Newsom's going to be happy next year? <laughs> it Great might not question. Ma- it might not matter, but... Such a good one, Dan. Are, are we sure? And if he's not, what's going to happen? Great question, Dan. That should have been our first one out of the gate. <laughs> Why did it take so long? <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, that that's, again, going to be another storyline until we hear from Greg, until we kind of hear from Jim and how he wants to, to use these guys. What what are you going to do with Greg? I, I think that's, that's probably going to be a headline at some point next week. Right, Mary Kay? Yes, absolutely. After he answered that question, when uh, the, the person, the fan on Twitter asked him if he would be open to playing inside again next year, and he answered N-O in all caps, um, so, and then he doubled down when Perry on Winfrey sent the meme out saying, hell no. So uh, we know it's an issue. And, you know, just for some reason, I happened to see that again today. Um, and he, it's still there. It's not like Greg has deleted it. It's still there, even though, you know, I wrote about it. I'm sure other people wrote about it too. Um, so what is going to, you know, what is going to happen? I don't think that um, when that question is asked of either Andrew or Kevin or both at the combine, that they're going to make any kind of a big deal out of it at all. I think uh, I think they're going to shrink it up and make it into a tiny little thing. And they're going to say, we've got, you know, three really good cornerbacks that can play, you know, multiple positions and that they have versatility. And we're going to see how it all plays out. And we love Greg and, and off we go to the races. So I, I just, I don't think they're going to make a big deal out of it at all. I almost feel like that's sort of what's going to happen with this story in general, Ashley. I don't think, I mean, it'll be a story and Greg might give us some good answers on it eventually. And 
I don't know, maybe he complains a little bit. Maybe he does make a little bit of a stink. But ultimately, I do kind of feel like this will go the way of, like, Greg, you just got to show up and play. Yeah, because I think, like, ultimately he has, at the end of the day, like, not a ton of leverage in this situation. Like, he either needs to play where they want him, or, like, Jim Schwartz doesn't strike me as the kind of coach that is going to put up with something like Jadavian Clowney did last year, right? Where he refused to play on anything but third down against Baltimore in a really important game. So I think at the end of the day, like from everything we know about Greg too, like he's going to want to play and he'll play and they'll get past this. And yes, I think it's definitely newsworthy and Greg's going to get questions about it. Andrew and Kevin are going to get questions about it. Jim Schwartz is going to get questions about it. But I do think it's going to strike me as one of those things that kind of may have already been dealt with in-house and we're not going to really hear much more drama about it. Mary Kay, when you mentioned that it's still up on Twitter, do we think Greg Newsom has ever deleted a tweet? <laughs> Probably <laughs> he not. Loves, he loves Twitter. He loves it when people talk trash about him. On He loves all that stuff. Yeah, he likes mixing it up. Um, the interesting thing about this situation is that it really is going to be, you know, in my mind, one of the first sort of challenges for Jim Schwartz. Like, how is he going to handle this? Now, in the world of Jim Schwartz, he would probably laugh his head off if he knew that I just called that a challenge for him with everything that he's been through in his entire career, right? This is probably just such a tiny little thing. But I do think that, you know, he's he's going to need to set the tone on how he's going to handle things like this. You know, I mean, how he sort of decides what's going to happen with Greg Newsom uh, could go a long way towards saying, hey, there's a new sheriff in town and this is how we roll here, right? I think it's going to be a completely different vibe, philosophy, level of discipline uh, than the Browns had last year. And this will be one of the one of the first test cases for how it's going to play out. Okay, there we go. Combine week is, I guess we can say it's like officially upon us. I know it's not quite the end of this week yet, but like that's that's next. We are we are going to Indianapolis on on Monday and at the end of the week we'll stick our heads up from whatever Indianapolis brings and we'll figure out what's what's next. It's a blur. That's for sure. When you go to the combine, it is an absolute just whirlwind of a week for everybody. So um, uh, we'll have a lot of content coming your way, uh, both for our football insider subscribers. So cleveland.com slash Browns to get texting our newsletter uh, and get access to those exclusive stories. But also for our podcast listeners, you should be both uh, subscribe to Apple Podcasts and uh, subscribe here on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And check us out on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com on YouTube. Mary Kay and Ashley, I'll talk to you later.